0: Today on the Daily Scoop podcast from the Scoop News Group, a high priority focus for the CIO Council.
1: How are we all learning from each other so that we don't have to go and discover it or or figure it out on our own? And the CIO Council has been great for that.
0: A look at the Education Department CIO's to do list.
1: Cybersecurity absolutely critical. It always has been, uh, but we're we're focusing a lot. Zero Trust, absolutely critical. Really thankful to the TMF board for uh, giving us uh, some funds for that. Really, really appreciate that.
0: And rethinking a rebuild for the cyber workforce.
1: That's one of
2: the problems right now that we have. We're asking for credentials for them to get started. That's kind of hard to do. There's a lot of talent in inner cities and other rural areas where they don't have access to get those credentials or the money.
0: Tuesday, April 5th, 2022. Welcome to the Daily Scoop podcast sponsored by MFGS Inc. Every afternoon, you'll learn what's going on today in government. I'm the host of the Daily Scoop podcast, Francis Rose. Here's what's happening now. The Defense Department's one step closer to having an acquisition undersecretary. The Senate Armed Services Committee sent the nomination of Bill LePlant for that job to the Senate floor today. Eric Raven's nomination to become the undersecretary of the Navy advanced to the floor, too. The FBI has a new data and cyber official, Nathan Taylor, is the new assistant director of the Information Technology Applications and Data Division at the Bureau. The agency says he'll lead cyber and data efforts. You'll find more on these stories and lots of other news at fedscoop.com. Tomorrow is CyberScoop's Zero Trust Summit. It'll feature public and private sector leaders talking about solutions for federal agencies that are implementing zero trust technology and strategy. The Zero Trust is happening at the Conrad in Washington, D.C. You can find a link to learn more in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. the Department of Education is back to the office, at least in part. This is the first full week since the Education Department's plan has taken effect. Jason Gray is the Chief Information Officer at the Department of Education. Jason, welcome. Thanks for joining me today. What are you thinking about? What's top of mind for you as employees are coming back to the office, structurally, tactically, employee-wise, whatever? Welcome, Jason.
1: Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, I would say top of mind is certainly Uh, the workforce. Uh, I know it's certainly a part of the the president's management agenda and it's top of mind for me because it's uh, my most valuable resource and uh, enables me and the department to to support our mission. So uh, I would say top of mind is, uh, you know, coexisting in a hybrid environment where you have some staff that are remote and some staff that are in the office and how do you create that uh, that synergy that has historically happened when people are uh, in the office?
0: The term that you used the last time we talked, Jason, was connective tissue, how you keep the people who are working remotely connected and operating at the same, not just the same productivity level, but the same engagement level and interactivity level, I guess, are some other terms that you're probably thinking about in that connective tissue concept, right?
1: Yes. So yeah that that is a really good point and something i have thought a lot about because uh the the 10 second uh casual organic conversation that you have in the hall or or in the elevator or even shortly uh, before or after a meeting uh that that creates that connective tissue that we are talking about uh that in many instances you you see it helps overcome and and uh, challenges or obstacles that you may have the the little nuances that you can have uh that you don't necessarily see on video or feel or the tone of someone's voice um, those are things that uh have certainly um added a new element uh to the the working remote um i will say there's there's been some really great things one i i feel like The the federal workforce speaking for uh, education uh, and my team specifically has clearly demonstrated that, yes, we can work remote, we can do exceptional at working remote uh, and continue the mission going forward, which is great. Uh, I will say that even some of our all staff meetings, I was blown away by how uh, dynamic uh, they are. Uh, It was interesting because my first uh, few years, I've almost been here six years, we have all staff meetings and it's been uh you know like uh, pulling teeth if you will to try and get people to be engaged and talk and you open it up for questions and sometimes there aren't questions and uh what was fascinating is during the pandemic you have uh a lot more engagement a lot more uh talking a lot more discussion and i i can't help but feel that the uh the the fear of public speaking is really what's preventing that so I feel like on, on the plus side, there's been a lot of that, uh, which has been great. Uh, the issue that I do think a lot about, though, is those organic conversations that help uh, just kind of gently remind people that, yes, I, I'm still aware of what's going on. I still know what's going on. We're still, everything is still good that you get when you're physically uh, in the office. Um, so, yeah, I've been focusing a lot on that. I've uh, come up with a couple uh, ways that we have uh, implemented to, to kind of get at that, if you'd like me to talk a, a little bit about that.
0: Yeah, I mean, that that engagement, that level of engagement is really the toughest nut to crack for people, I think, Jason, that that idea of what creates those kind of informal, almost ad hoc connections where I wasn't expecting to run into you when I went into the copy or the, the printer or whatever, but Uh, A a personal social connection was made that maybe was not as strong before um, an an idea sparks because of quick interaction like that. Those are the kinds of things that I think people really miss that I think people really hunger for. Right.
1: Yeah, I would definitely agree. And I it's been um, it's been fascinating to see how much additional engagement uh, I think has to be. uh, uh, has to be uh, worked on because of those lack of uh, just organic conversations that happen. Uh, I mean, I would walk into the office, see an employee, we'd have a conversation about uh, the weekend or the children or something that's, that's going on that connects us. Uh, or and, I, and it would turn into a, oh yeah, by the way, here's something that's going on that then I could take with me to the next meeting and the next engagement. So um, a, a couple of the things that we have done uh, that that have gone over really well, and I, I feel that helps bring the workforce together is the first thing we started doing is we started having listening sessions. And those were loosely structured meetings, meaning we'd have an agenda uh, with a couple topics, uh, three or four topics that we want to talk through, typically an hour long, and it would be to communicate some of the things that are going on with the the whole team. Uh, It was open, it wasn't a mandatory meeting and people would come in and they they would listen, but it would also give me and the leadership team the opportunity to listen uh, and hear from individuals kind of what's going on, what are their challenges? Do they need any obstacles clear? Do they have any ideas or suggestions? Uh, And then, so that was the first thing that I felt went a really long way. And then as a result of that, part of the listening session, we someone said, Hey, you know what we should do is we should have a, a, a virtual happy hour. Uh, it, so we ended up changing uh it from happy hour to social hour because it's actually done during uh the middle of a workday. Mm-hmm. Uh and we do it once a month now. And it is an unstructured, uh no agenda. It's typically facilitated because we wanna make sure that we um, you know, have some guidance in terms of uh, pulling uh, questions out or getting feedback. Um, but those have been phenomenal uh, because we have the conversations. And, you know, sometimes we'll have very broad topics like, oh, we want to talk about uh, when the pandemic is over, where are you going to go on vacation? And, and that spurs a lot of great conversation. But it's helped uh, create that connective tissue that used to happen organically in the office uh, and I feel like it's it's provided a lot more uh, opportunity because, you know, anyone can join. We've had a massive attendance every single time we've done it so far. Uh, I expect that to continue uh, happening, but that's been really, really helpful. I've learned so much about different shows that people watch and different hobbies that people have and uh, how people have overcome some of the challenges that we've all faced with the pandemic. So that's been a great way to do that, uh, but I'm certainly uh, looking for other ways Uh, as well.
0: I imagine when you came up with the concept of those listening sessions, talked about it among your leadership team, one of the decisions was, do we make these mandatory or do we make these optional? And I can see both sides of the coin. When you decided to make them optional, to make them not mandatory, how did you approach the idea of, we don't want this to seem like it's not important. We don't want this to seem like we're not invested in it but we don't want it to seem like another forced meeting on the calendar. I'm guessing that's where you were going with that.
1: Yeah, that's a really good point because you're right. Uh, uh, many, many years ago, someone made the comment of uh, we don't want to have forced fun. Uh, and I agree with that. Uh, but to your point, I also want to reinforce the importance and of it and, and that it's something that we're behind. And uh, to, to get to your question, the I think the key was making sure that the entire leadership uh, team was on board with what we were doing and why we were doing it. Because uh, I know that it takes away from work uh, that needs to get done. And I wanted to make sure that we had uh, 100% buy-in from the team, from the leadership team, that this is what we're doing and why we're doing it. Uh, And what was amazing is everyone was welcoming. It was like, oh my god, yeah, this is great. We should have done this sooner. Um, so I would say that that was the first piece was making sure that we were all on board and understood what we were doing and why we were doing it. As I mentioned earlier, the, the workforce, uh, I can't do anything without them. Uh, I it's, it's funny. I know we've talked about this before, but as you grow, uh, in, in leadership, uh, it's really not that a bunch of people work for you, it's you work for a bunch of people. You're advocating for them, you're supporting them, you're getting them the resources, you're the top cover, uh, you're there as a, as a shield at times. Uh, and uh, so anyway, it was making sure that the leadership team was on board and then it was communicating and making sure that, because the, the challenge, and this is also fascinating, is I think when the pandemic first started, there was a lot of concern about, are people gonna be working? Uh, how do we know they're working? And what was really fascinating is, within two months at most, the conversation completely changed from a, "Are people working?" to "Are people working too much?" And how do we make sure that the, they're disengaging and making sure that we set boundaries because their their home became their office, and we wanted to make sure that people felt like they could disconnect from work and not constantly feel like uh their home was work uh but so anyway the the first part was communicating to uh the team and making sure that we all knew what we were doing and why we're doing it and then it was communicating with uh the all staff which we had all staff meetings we talked about what we were doing and why uh and it wasn't as if the the i certainly didn't come up with the idea it wasn't even the leadership team that came up with the idea. It was the employees that say, hey, this would be a great idea. And it was, yeah, we should have done this sooner and let's do this. Um, so that that's how we really came across the it is important, but it's not mandatory. Uh, because sometimes, which again, sometimes people show up, sometimes people have conflicting meetings. Um, we try to schedule it at a time that uh, is certainly far enough in advance that people can accommodate uh, because we want people to be able to come. But I have been um, pleasantly surprised initially, and now I've seen you know there's uh, it's widely attended uh, throughout our organization, which is wonderful.
0: Jason, hold that thought. We'll continue the conversation in a moment. I'm Francis Rose, the host of the Daily Scoop podcast. On tomorrow's program, the Chiefs of the Sea Services on driving innovation and preparing for the future. My conversations with the Chief of Naval Operations, Admiral Michael Gilday, the Commandant of the Marine Corps, General David Berger, and the Commandant of the Coast Guard, Admiral Carl Schultz. That Daily Scoop podcast debuts tomorrow afternoon at fedscoop.com and wherever you get your shows. More now with the Chief Information Officer at the Department of Education, Jason Gray. A great setup in the first part of our conversation about how you got to where you are today, Jason. As you start to think about what comes next, are you thinking about it from a perspective of, okay, we have some pieces from before the pandemic and we have some pieces during the pandemic and we're going to kind of, and use the word hybrid, or we're going to hybridize those pieces? Or do you think this looks completely different when we get six months out or a year out from where we are today is barring any unforeseen circumstances and that we continue the trajectory that we're on as far as the pandemic goes, um, that it appears to be fading. Do, do we have kind of a third way as, as we've heard the term over the years?
1: So, yeah, that's, a, I've thought a lot about that as well, uh, because hybrid certainly isn't new. Uh, I mean, <laughs> the remote workforce and the telework has been around a long time uh, it, it's. I, I believe there's there's two things. It's it's more of a mindset, and then the other thing that we're focusing a lot on. I know next week we have a, a meeting with uh, one of uh, you know the the tech leaders out there to talk about leveraging the capabilities and the tools and that we have uh, to the best of our ability to create um, a, an equitable hybrid environment where we can leverage what we have. Because I, I I feel like I wouldn't I don't know if there's a, a, a third, uh, but I would certainly say there's there's always ways to improve on what we're doing and how we're doing it. And what we're looking at is how do we do that and what are things that we can do to leverage uh, the tools that we have. But also, look, are there other things and other tools uh, that we have out there? This is one thing that uh, Claire on the Federal CIO Council has, has spoken a lot about. And I've really appreciated this is that it's really focused on how are we all learning from each other? So that we don't have to go and discover it or or figure it out on our own, and the Seattle Council has been great for that to talk about. You know, what are the challenges you're facing, and these are the things that we are doing to overcome. And you know, how is the hybrid environment focusing? And I understand that our missions are all uh, unique and, and slightly different. You know, serving the public, but uh, I I feel like that collaboration has also uh, enabled us to adopt and look at other ways to. Uh, to help support the workforce through the transition.
0: I imagine you found that there are probably as many, maybe more commonalities among you and your colleagues on the council than there are differences, even given the differences in missions and so on.
1: Absolutely. I, I have lost track of the number of times when someone will mention a challenge that they're facing uh, and, uh, and come up with a solution or have a solution already uh, that now I'm like, great, now I don't have to dedicate resources to try and solve something because someone else has already done this. Uh, it's funny, several years ago, I guess it was 2018 ish or so, uh, we were going through a massive IT transformation. Uh, after the transformation, I had a meeting with a, one of my uh, peers in another agency who had gone through uh, almost the exact same type of uh, transition. Uh, very similar technologies, uh, almost exactly the same, around the same size. Uh, And it was uh, one of those moments where I was like, man, I should have talked to them before because then we could have uh, kind of greased the skids, if you will, and made it much easier. The good news is we all ended up in the same place, which was great. Uh, But uh, I want to continue leveraging uh, the teams that we have out there Uh, which I I will say the, the CIO Council has done a great job of pulling the CIOs together, especially during this time to either address cyber issues or workforce issues or technology issues. It, it's been amazing to see the collaboration and partnership across government. I
0: wrote down the word intentionality when you were talking earlier about the virtual social hour and the listening sessions and all of those kinds of things. And it strikes me that's the same word that probably needs to apply moving forward to that type of interaction among the CIO council, right? Not waiting for the meetings, but making sure that there's some type of vibrant communication channel among all of you to keep those ideas circulating on a constant basis.
1: You're absolutely right. And that's, that's also been something that I've really appreciated the, uh, the council and my peers, because there's a lot of you know texts that go on. There's a lot of, you know, other types of communication channels that we have to share, Hey, this is what's going on. Or someone is looking for a, a policy or looking for some guidance and it's not let me go and have my team work it out on their own, it's how do we leverage each other, uh, which I will say the, the last two plus years, it has been uh, exceptional. I wanna do the same thing. And we've talked about workforce and hybrid and uh, lots of great conversations that have been going on so that it's not, I, I don't feel like it's just the Department of Education trying to figure out, hey, how do we do this? It's all of us co- collectively and collaboratively uh working together to to address the challenges that that our teams are going to face and i I believe there's going to be some adjustment period just like when we transitioned from uh coming into the office every day and then suddenly working from our homes uh it certainly took some time to adjust and i think it's going to take some time to adjust as well coming back into the office uh, you're right. I, I have certainly seen the numbers go down. Um, you know, there's uh, want, definitely want to make sure that the the team knows that uh, their health and, and well-being and safety is the most important thing, uh, because if they're not healthy, then they're, you know, they're going to be focused on other things and Uh, We really want to make sure that, uh, you know, we we got them focused on the right things.
0: What is cool, though, about what you're talking about there is you're getting at the spirit of what Fatara intended, which was to drive collaboration and awareness, not just among all the CIOs and the CIO council, but awareness about all of the other specialties that are going on in the CXO suite. You're talking about personnel. You're not letting your Chico do that. You're, you're, you're involved in that too. And you're staking your claim in the ground on that issue as well. And same thing with budget. I've talked to some of your peers on the council that are deeply involved in budget and how to, uh, manage the money in some of the IT items that are not listed in the budget specifically as IT items, but are still going to wind up being your responsibility anyway. And, and the same thing with acquisitions. So this is propagating, it sounds like, all throughout the C-suite in education and other agencies too.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. The collaboration between the, the CXO community uh, has been amazing. And I I would even say that it's even beyond education. I know through the work at the Workforce Committee on the CIO Council, uh, we have had numerous, the Chico Council, um, the CFO Council, everyone's getting involved and engaged to talk about uh, the workforce and to to learn from each other. I know that uh, we did a, a data science training academy and I know actually in about 13 days the Department of Education is going to be uh, doing our own uh, data science training program that has grown from that, but it's really about collaborating and leveraging the data that we have. And now we have a lot, uh, a lot of remote data to, to help support uh, and drive the, the mission of the department.
0: All right, my audience will sue me for malpractice if I have a chief information officer of an agency on and don't ask him what he's doing tactically. So just give me a a couple of big chunks about what some of your priorities are tactically, Jason.
1: Yeah, so uh, cybersecurity, absolutely critical. It always has been, uh, but we're we're focusing a lot. Zero trust, absolutely critical. Really thankful to the TMF board for uh, giving us uh, some funds for that. Really, really appreciate that. Uh, EIS uh, and the transition off of networks is uh, top of mind, but also uh, you know lots of forward-looking uh, from a hosting standpoint, from a service delivery standpoint, uh, just the the t- typical operational activities uh, that that go on day to day, but really focused on uh, bringing the agency into kind of the, the, the new future uh, cyber posture as it relates to uh, technology and zero trust.
0: Jason, it's great to talk to you. Thanks very much for your time. I appreciate it. Yeah,
1: likewise. Thank you.
0: You can read more about agency back to office plans in today's show notes, thedailyscooppodcast.com. The Daily Scoop podcast is available on all the podcast platforms. If you've already rated the show on your platform of choice, thanks for doing that. High ratings and good reviews of the show help more people find it. The Department of Homeland Security is moving forward with its new cyber talent management system. The goal is to slow the flow of cyber talent leaving the agency in addition to bringing new talent in. Eric Irizarry is Solutions Architect at MFGS, Inc. And MFGS, Inc. is sponsoring today's Daily Scoop podcast. Eric, welcome. Thanks for coming on the program. One of the things that agencies have not done well for a long time is knowledge transfer. When somebody leaves the person coming behind them, it's hard to get that person inside the more veteran person's brain. What are you seeing agencies, organizations that are successful at doing that doing to perpetuate the knowledge of the people that are leaving? Welcome, Eric.
2: Oh, thanks for having me, Francis. I think one of the things that I see there happening is um, internships that are starting to come up online. I think a lot of uh, SIs are realizing that they're losing talent and that one of the things that they're trying to shorten that with is bringing people from college in uh, to do internships and apprenticeships. There's a lot of lack of people in the cybersecurity space doing that. You know, colleges do work a lot on uh, policies, teaching, you know, high level concepts of IT, but not a lot of the day to day functions that happen in the cybersecurity space, that entry level positions. How do we get those people or how do we fill those jobs, mentor people in those jobs and grow their talent and keep them? And that's a hard thing to do, especially now, you know, people after the COVID thing have realized, you know, maybe it's time for me to step aside, do other things with my life. It, you know, reassessment of, of priorities have happened and a lot of good people are starting to leave and that talent is, is leaving the industry.
0: A lot of uh, organizations, private sector companies, uh, I know DHS has programs where they're working at, as as far down the educational cycle as middle schools, preparing kids in middle schools, high schools, and, and as you mentioned, colleges too, to, to enter the workforce, not just for government, but for the entire cybersecurity landscape. What does someone who comes out of a program like that have or know, or what is that person able to do that makes them prepared to take on that internship type position that you just referenced?
2: Well, I think a lot of the talent today, especially today's youth, they've grown their whole lives with computer. You know, when I started in my career, I had to kind of work my way through understanding the desktop, the network, all those things, a lot of these younger generation, they understand a lot of these concepts. They just don't have hands-on. We don't teach those concepts in school. A lot of the school programs are about programming, understanding applications, and stuff like that, but we don't teach the piping of what's, you know, the internet, the networking, and those those kind of things behind the scenes to teach them to become good analysts and understanding all the concepts. If we could somehow have internships or programs, apprenticeships, where instead of having these young kids work part-time in the restaurant industry or something like that, help desk, you know, several hours on help desk during the week, on the weekends, you know, for for a young individual who is getting $20 an hour to work at the help desk and learn those concepts there, first, they learn good customer service. Second, they're going to learn the basic technology because they're working at the lower level and work their way up. And then, then you can not only that, but retain that knowledge as they move forward and get them into working after high school.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. What does credentialing look like now, and what what do you think it should look like to get folks at that entry level into the cybersecurity positions that the government and industry need them for?
2: Well, I think we need to, with credentials, that's one of the problems right now that we have. We're asking for credentials for them to get started. That's kind of hard to do. There's a lot of talent in inner cities and other rural areas where they don't have access to get those credentials or the money, because the basic, you know, to get certified on certain certain level, you're talking ten to twenty thousand dollars to kind of get just the basic certifications to do some of these entry level jobs. That's a lot of money for some people. What we need to do is, like you said, they're working on the middle school, the high school, train them and then get them started in those positions and help them with those certifications. I would never be in this industry working if those requirements had existed when I started in my career, because I didn't have any credentials. I started as a help desk person or desktop support, right? And then when we get them into those, how do we help them? How do we bridge the gap between what they don't know and what they need to know? We do that with some of the things like tools. We have some tools that kind of automate the process of helping them. You know, one of the things that at Micro Focus Government Solutions that we did with ArcSight is when we redesigned that security tool, we did it with the analyst and the level one entry position in mind to help them work their way through how to resolve an issue or security issue that gets started.
0: The The entire challenge that strikes me here, too, you made a good point there a moment ago about the way that we nurture this talent as it mm-hmm. comes through the pipeline. And it strikes me the... Um, that that's probably as much science as it is art. You know, you you talked about a systemic kind of approach there. What does that look like, and how much of it is art? And how much of it is science? How much is it dependent on the agency, on the person, on the mission, uh, and and the cyber posture at any given time of the organization? A lot of factors there, I imagine, Eric.
2: Yes, I think I think we have a blueprint for this, and and I'm a I'm I'm a baseball fanatic, so. My, bull, my blueprint here is we've had this for over a hundred years Baseball has a farming system right they bring very young talent from high school they put them in their farming system they work them and out of those they get some really good jewels some superstars but also the the backbone of any team are the journeymen that do the, the the day in and day out of the of the game right? They go, so those are the unsung heroes, uh, I call it in the game. I think we need to do take that approach. Start a middle school, you're gonna get people that want to do these apprenticeships. Those are the people that you want. They're gonna put the effort. So they're gonna have the passion, the desire. Bring them through high school. In the vocational schools that we have in high school, why not create a vocational system that is about cybersecurity? And we take them in there and, I, you know, the ISC2 community can participate in that by providing uh, mentorship and volunteer time to teach these young individuals, right? Uh, Sophomore, seniors, uh, juniors, uh, the, the, the basics of cybersecurity. So when they go into the force, now you get them out of high school, you get them into that level entry one position for companies is a win because you don't have to pay them a very high salary. They're gonna come in and the desire to learn. So you're gonna keep them for 24 to 36 months. Those entry jobs usually are gonna be a revolving door. That's how I came in. I moved up. Everybody that's in senior positions have gone through the process of, of starting somewhere. So feed that farm system, feed those positions, mentor them, hire them. And if you give them opportunities to advance within the organization, you get to keep that internal talent as well.
0: What level of success have you seen with IT solutions, automation, or others to fill this gap until the pipeline can be primed and, and start to flow and, and produce people?
2: I think a, a, a lot of companies are trying to help at the level one entry you hear a lot about ease of use of products. And I think that's important when it comes to in the cybersecurity, because um, the younger uh, generation that comes in, they wanna be able, they're more visual. So they wanna be able to click things, do things, move it here, do that. So ease of use is a key component. Automation is important as well. We are starting to see a lot more automation in the process of helping. But as we as we can see, like with the winds event that happened, you know, there was a lot there's still a lot of automation in the system. But it took the curiosity of cybersecurity professionals to look at something and say, oh, wow, this just does not look right. How do I pursue that? Right. It was a more senior level, but you still need the individual. Right? Our natural curiosity really helps bring us to things and, and point out things inside that. But to be able to see that, you have to have the basic knowledge of how things work. And that's where we can build that farm system at the high school level and bring those people in. And I think, I think there's a lot of talent that's just untapped because we require all the certification and a four year degree and all these things. You know, <clears throat> recently uh, Governor Hogan in Maryland decided we're not going to need a degree for to fill in certain positions. I think that's the first step uh, in helping to fill those gaps of people that are leaving and bringing new talent in.
0: Eric Irizarry of MFGS, it's great to talk to you. Thanks for coming on the program today.
2: Thanks for having me, Francis. I really appreciate the time. Thank you.
0: The Daily Scoop podcast is a production of the Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C. James Mahoney helps me put it together, and the entire Scoop News Group team contributes. The Daily Scoop podcast is back tomorrow with the chiefs of the Navy, the Marine Corps, and the Coast Guard. Until then, I'm Francis Rose. Thanks for listening.